Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. What's up, guys? Hope you're all nice. It's All Blackademic is in the house with me, your host, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Thank you very much for joining us once again. Now, on today's show, we're going to be discussing and having a chat about wealth and serious wealth and asking the question, should there be an expectancy on the richest and the wealthiest members of the black community to give back, to donate, in particular to those most in need? Um, a bit of context before we introduce our guests as well. When we say the wealthiest and the richest, we're not talking about rapper rich or athlete rich or even Hollywood rich. We're talking about billionaires or people that are on the trajectory at least. That means that in a deal or two or in a year or two, they'll be also part of that billionaire club. Now, with me today to have this discussion, I'm joined by Elaine Cunningham-Walker, who's the founder and director of Everything Education. Her philanthropy is sponsoring a hunger and poverty project, so she does give back to the community, but doesn't think that it should be expected of her to give back to her community. I'm also joined by Gary Grant, who is a credit risk senior leader, but he does feel there should be an expectancy on the wealthiest to support the community they came from. I've got here Donald Earl Collins, who's joined us as well from Washington, D.C., or just outside Washington, D.C., who was a lecturer and an author. And he wrote a very interesting article for Al Jazeera titled, Why I Don't Understand the Black Affluent Class. And finally, we have Jamila McClooney, who is a financial coach and strategist for Black Wealth Financial who believes that the, the community suffers when giving back is withheld or neglected. And I believe you're joining us from California. Is that correct? Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, so first of all, thank you very much to our American brothers and sisters joining us. We've not had any Americans on our, on our show before. So thank you very much um, for joining us on It's All Black Academy. We're looking forward to getting into this. I purposely uh, invited two Americans onto the show because I understand that there's a, the difference in attitudes from the black British community to wealth to the African-American uh, community mm. to wealth as well. So I'm really interested in getting into that as well. Um, let me start off then by just asking uh, you guys that question to start with. Um, I'm going to start with Jamila um, to kick us off. Then you guys, please follow up and give your answers. Do you feel that the people who are the rich, we're talking billionaires, I think a lot of people don't actually understand the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. Do you think the billionaires, that the black billionaires that we have, should be expected to give back to the community? I mean, I think the word expected is what's getting me with the question because I don't think it mm -hmm. should be an obligation or an expectation in the sense that um, they should. I think it's good. It would help. And I don't necessarily know if giving back, just, um, you know, you mentioned like donating or just giving money. What is that for? What is it going towards? Like, mm -hmm. I think the expectation should be removed, but I think that it would also all, of course, help. But what are we giving to? You know, a lot of times, you know, you can just give somebody something and the values missed. So what are, what is the billionaire expected to give the money for? You know, I think that's a better question um, to find out. I don't think it should necessarily be a, a financial thing that we give back to the community. It can be in the form of 
tools or a, a trade or understanding i mean there's a saying that says you give um a man a fish and then he eats for that night but if you give him if you teach him how to fish then he can feed you know uh, his family for centuries as that goes because i think that and this is why i always say and i agree with jamelia in the fact that you, you don't necessarily there should be no obligation to give back because actually i worked hard to get where i am and i can give you the tools to also get to the same place as i am but what you find is that in our community there's an expectation that because you've made it you have to just give out some kind of token if that makes sense um this is donald or colin i would say that um the word expectation is a hard it's a hard stop for me i think it's more like a yes yes and no that in a sense in a communal sense yes we should expect those who have a lot to try to give some of that in the way to the community so that the community can be uplifted that is part of the history at least for african americans um in the u.s in terms of our history in terms of that not necessarily expectation but a stated sort of goal actually you know over the last say you know 50 to 100 years with millionaires certainly and certainly in some cases with billionaires on the other hand you know this is a capitalist system we operate in and we since we operate in a capitalist system you can't absolutely obligate any individual to give back for any means whether it's appropriate or inappropriate you can do whatever the heck you want really right but in terms of the larger goal of possibly racial uplift and um, eliminating poverty and those sorts of things in a communal sense, yeah, you should have some expectation or, you know, maybe a moral obligation or ethical obligation, but in a capitalist society, you can't have the absolute expectation of this. Gary, do you agree? We're talking about billionaires now, yeah. people that have money that can rival yeah. countries. If you have that amount of money, is it unfair of your community, in particular the parts of your community who, who are struggling and have the, have the least, to expect them to say, you know, you can give a lot and still be a billionaire and, and, and help out your community, yeah. or, or is, that, is that slightly unfair? I think, I think my view, I'd, I'd, I'd come at it from a, a slightly different perspective. So <clears throat> the way the question is asked is, should the community have an expectation on some individual that's healthy. My view is slightly different. And my, my view is that the individual should uh, set an obligation or an expectation on themselves to, com to contribute back to their community. And you know, when you're talking about, you know, uh, extreme wealth, we're talking about a billionaire, right? So as a billionaire, you don't all of a sudden become a billionaire. That happens over time, right? as you grow your wealth, as you build your businesses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I think we, and I think we're talking about as, as a black people, as a black community, um, I think we need to create a culture of community and a culture of giving back. So along that journey, the question that I would ask is, what was this individual then doing while they were growing their success? were they actually giving back to the community at that point or not, yeah? And also um, the perspective of, of the community on this individual that, you know, there's a phrase that, you know, we, we throw around a lot in, you know, from the Caribbean, you rich and switch. Is that, is that the case? Is that what we're talking about? That someone does well and they switch and they, they withhold, they don't want to give back into their community. They don't feel obligated to do so. Or could it also be that the community have changed their perspective on this individual and now they're putting a weight of expectation on them to give back because they're now wealthy? So I think there's a lot of different ways <clears throat> kind of to look at this. What do you guys think the black, black billionaires should be funding within the black community? What are the sorts of things that if you are a billionaire, if you, if you don't think there should be an obligation to to donate or to give or be be philanthropic my teeth in what should they be funding in the community well i would say that at least on this side of the pond we we need to be dealing with things like k-12 education um everything from um better 
physical plants, school buildings, to um, providing more scholarships for students to go to college, to textbooks, to um, more after-school programs, um, more around public health and public safety kinds of issues, um, supporting um, organizations and movements like Black Lives Matter, um, for instance. Um, there are a whole plethora of things that um, the handfuls of billion black billionaires, and that's the other thing to think about in terms of your question, um, Jordan. By the way, is the fact that we can talk about black billionaires as much as we want, but there aren't thousands and thousands of black billionaires. There may be a couple dozen, <laughs> at least in the United States. So it's not a very large group we're talking about to begin with in terms of their wealth. Um, and they also address the point that um, Gary made a second ago. If they earn their wealth a certain way, more than likely they've gotten used to exploiting labor in the process of doing so. So in terms of the expectation angle of this, I'm not so sure that we should really be, you know, that, you know, no matter how much pressure community puts on in terms of expecting the billionaire to give back, the truth is if they're used to exploiting people, they're, they're probably not less likely to give back in a way that would be satisfactory to a community in the first place. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's. I think that's a really um, good point there, Donald. And I, I think if I if I if I go back, you know, um, and talk about culture, what we're building, who are we? Um, what you've asked there, Jordan, is what should they be giving back to? So you've got an individual that's hugely successful. Um, do they have a pipeline? Are they creating, you know, other successful individuals? Are they investing into you know great ideas into uh, uh businesses that have you know uh that need someone to invest in them and come alongside them to train train them in you know uh financial management and that that that, that kind of thing um i, I think giving back it, it kind of spans it's got a very wide bandwidth um and there are so many different areas um where we need, you know, as Donald mentioned, there's not a, a huge amount of, of, of billion, billionaires, but there's a huge amount of need in, in, in terms of, you know, leveling up. So um, there, there's a huge amount of, of work that actually needs to be done, I think. Um, hmm. When we say there aren't a lot of billionaires, um, I think we're, 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 we're um, we're using the, the the United States, but there's quite a few billionaires in Africa, um, just because they don't state how much they earn. There are a few billionaires in Africa, but I want to go back to what um, the young man in Washington said about um, education. I think education is a vehicle that gives that empowers the individual, and that there there needs to be investment from our people into those things and not mediocre education either we need to be able to build leaders of the future and i think that's really important because there's no point giving back just like jamelia said at the beginning like what are we giving back to there's no point giving um to a cause if you haven't been equipped to be able to handle that money and turn that money into millions and then into billions and that all requires training and i think investment by the billionaire in that respect shows that you're growing your community um people are becoming better by it and i think that's how you can empower and strengthen your community but just giving back for the sake of giving giving money or you're not giving to a specific project that's where i have the problem just Elaine, what, what's the work that you're doing? So tell us a little bit about that. So one of the things that I do, if, if I talk about the UK and the USA and Canada, is I help children from the black community who wouldn't normally have had space to be able to go into these 30,000, 40,000 a year schools to win places in there via scholarships and bursaries. And the thing is, a lot of the time when you're dealing with parents, they don't even understand the system to be able to get into there. So I have to train parents to understand the system and to equip them to get their children into that place. So their children, when they finish that period, have a place at the table. Um, in, in Africa, what I tend to do is I sponsor food projects and uh, hunger projects, feed the hunger projects, because those are people who are in abject poverty. And I'm not doing it to get a name for myself. I'm doing it because those people need help.
that that's that's what I'm doing and those are the kind of things that I do but if I bring myself back to why I started the educational consultancy it was because I realized that a lot of parents want the best for their children they just don't understand how to get in the system they don't understand how to be in the game and I think that's part of our problem we don't know how to be in the game but if somebody like me has got the the insider knowledge and that can help you get there sometimes people don't want to do that they'd rather have the raid the latest ride or the latest whip they don't want to be helped our community some of them don't want to be helped and so that's the kind of work that i do in empowering the community that way no i, I think it's really interesting um it, like the exposure right that's what it seems like what elaine is talking about mm -hmm. just really yeah supplying the opportunity to know that these things are out there. You know, when I was, uh, I was pre-med when I went to college and I just wanted to be a doctor my whole life, but there was nobody who could, you know, guide me or, you know, everything that I did to figure that out, I kind of did it on my own. Like my mom was like, look, mm -hmm. past the sixth grade, I don't, I can't help you. So you got to figure it out. And so um, I think, you know, the programs, I was in science programs and, and different things where we would go to uh, UCSD over the summer to learn these things and the different programs that, you know, I've got the scholarships to go to because I wouldn't have been able, my parents wouldn't have been able to afford to send me there. But these were things that I randomly found out about, you know what I'm saying? Like they weren't just presented and there for everybody. It was so, I think the exposure is very, very important. Of course, the, the education on all levels, like Elaine was saying, you know, you could you could put the money back back to the community, but if they don't know what to do with it, you know, I think there's a saying, if you uh, divide up all the wealth evenly amongst everybody in the world, it'd be only a short period of time before it would be back in the top 1% because, you know, you have to give them the tools to be able to know what to do with it. And I think the education even, um, like I think it was Daryl, I think, I think that's his name, what he was saying about public health, you know, food and, education uh, just education as a whole will be so important to just expose the community to different things so that they'll be aware and know you know i went to college in dc i went to howard and there was i mean there was just stuff that i engineers and just different things you know computer science stuff that i never had even considered but being there and being exposed to it but i was exposed 18 19 years old so i think you know those young younger communities, the programs, and just exposing them to what's out there and all the possibilities by giving back in that sense would be most beneficial. Is there an issue do you guys um, feel with large parts of our black community, our, our perception of what is successful, and we align success too much with, with wealth? So just before we started recording here, Elaine uh, picked me up on the fact that over my shoulder, there's a, there's a bottle of champagne. Now, I don't even drink, I don't drink alcohol, but and I, I, I'm not someone that is chasing wealth, but yet maybe subconsciously because of how I've been brought up, my mindset is that, there you go. My mindset is that if I show on camera that there's a bottle of champagne, it's not actually even that, that, not even that expensive. In the background, that may seem, be seen as some form of success. Is, is that something that we feel is a, a wider problem in, within large parts of our community that we align materialistic things with success? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think a lot of what Elaine was talking about earlier is, is vitally, vitally important because if you've got, you know, the young generation coming through um, and they've never had the opportunity to see anything, everything that they see is around their local community. Um, mm -hmm. And to take them out of that and give them uh, the, the chance to kind of expand their vision and uh, and their view of what is actually what is actually possible um then what 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 you tend to do with that is you give them something else to strive for and it's not necessarily just the new car or the new trainers which is the only things that they will normally see um in their environment that they would attribute to someone who is doing well um and then you know once once you're able to see those things, then you're, you're actually in a fortunate position because now that's going to drive your decision making. Um, and, you know, the, the things you actually get involved in, the people you get around. And, you know, when you start talking about getting around like minded people, there, there has to be a shift. And that shift has to be 
seen as, 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 as an investment by those who know and those who can help to teach and train and educate uh, come alongside um, and, and allow them to see that there, there, is, there is actually more. I think the challenge also is that sometimes um, when you start moving into certain environments, the community then looks at you as a sellout. So, for example, the way that I speak, I'm told on a regular that my name is not black enough. I don't sound black enough. And that can be a bit of a hindrance for those of us who want to help raise our community. How can we how can we help move the mindset? I love what you said um, about exposing yourself exposing people the younger community if i use my son who's 16 as an example now he's getting to the place where he's starting his own business he's 16 he's starting his own business he wants to empower younger boys that look up to him to show them that listen you don't have to strive for the latest car you can strive to be a counselor in your community to to create an impact in your community. You can strive, you've realized that maybe the dustbins are not collected properly. So there's a lot of waste in there. So you can you can apply for youth council and youth parliament and all of these kind of things. And these kind of things, like you rightly said, give us more insight and allow us to strive for bigger things and create more of an impact. When we create more of an impact, we then become influences in society, not Instagram influencers, by the way. I'm talking about, you know, influences in society that yeah. create change. So, so let, me, let me just ask on that point um, to you guys. Image gang is something that's often used um, as a phrase that comes up a lot within our community, which some people watch this may not know what image gang is. Someone want to just first of all um, explain, describe what image gang is and how dangerous it is for our young people to be buying into this idea of of um, the aesthetic and linking that to success and wealth. It's so as we as we talk about this, it's so intertwining and like there's so many levels and layers to this because until the idolization of the rappers and the athletes kind of change then I don't, I don't see how that aesthetic of, and I, I, I ask my clients all the time, do you, would you rather look like money or actually have some money? And it just seems like, you know, we're just programmed to look like it. You know, we, yeah. we'll go get the but, but, fake bag or the fake jewelry. Like, do you not understand that for, for some people who come from very impoverished backgrounds that maybe didn't have the trainers, didn't have the bag couldn't go you know buy the fancy car the minute that they come into wealth there's an element of now i have that money i want to try and almost relive my my childhood pains through the fact that now i can afford those trainers and i want to buy 15 pairs of the same trainers you know what i mean do you have any kind of empathy or sympathy for people that maybe that's their rationale as to why they buy into image gang i mean i get it i get it. and i've even heard back to you know they take it back to africa you know where we were kings and queens and had all the wealth and had all the jewelry and had everything. But, you know, I still, I still feel one of the wealthiest people I know, um, he shops, he buys his clothes at Walmart. I mean, you could never look at him and see what he has. But I think that's something that comes with uh, growth and maturity where you don't feel the need to impress or the need to show or to, to buy expensive things to show that you have it. Because usually the people who are doing that, they don't even have any money anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> it's true. And, and, how, and how do we impart that into our young black boys and girls that are so focused on athletes and hip hop culture? How do we impart to them that listen, Mark Zuckerberg probably has 20 white t-shirts that cost $10 each right. or something around that. Do you know what I mean? Come how on. do we get that into Come those on. young people? Uh, you are taking such an individualistic approach to trying to deal with a problem that is systemic, that affects literally tens if not hundreds of millions of people in sub-Saharan Africa, in the United States, in the Caribbean, in Europe. And you're talking about this as if, okay, we just have to teach these people to change their mindset. We're in a system that basically promotes materialism for everybody, not just African-Americans, not just African Caribbeans, not just black Africans, but for everybody. And we're here talking about, oh, we need to get them to stop focusing on buying trainers or an athlete. Okay, even if you do that, 
the system is so unfair and there's so few people that can make it up to the top that yes, we can change things in terms and massage things in terms of allowing folks to understand, especially young people understand that there's a place for, you know, that they can change their mindset and try to do things that are a little bit more off the beaten path that will help them become more successful. But we're but this issue is not just about individuals. This is we're trying to do systemic work here. And having having this conversation about, you know, it's because our culture is so materialistic. No, we live in a capitalist society where everyone's materialistic. This isn't this should not even be a surprise. We're trying to deal with poverty. And poverty is not this isn't a culture of poverty. This is just plain old poverty, right? Zuckerberg buying twenty shirts. When Zuckerberg comes from a privileged background to begin with, why do I care what Zuckerberg does? Zuckerberg does? Was he successful because he grew up in a project somewhere in some city somewhere and then all of a sudden struck it rich? But listen to what you just said. He was surrounded by certain people, right? Oh. So if we get our kids to be surrounded by people with a different mindset, their mindset will change. I know a lot of very wealthy people who are not materialistic. You don't even know that they've got, my son was in a class with um, Sir Ian Fleming's grandchild. And for a long time, I didn't even know that that was his grandchild until I went to their house. And I was just like, why are there so many 007 books in here? And he said, oh, my grandfather wrote them. They drove the most beat up car to school all the time, right? But they were old money, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think that, yes, it is a systemic system, but it's also a mindset shift as well. When you surround yourself with certain people, let's look at the, the black people that have made it. They've surrounded themselves by certain people. If you look at some of the guys who've gone through a system of scholarships into Eton, into Oxford, they have a very different mindset from the boys who've been raised. And these are boys that were taken from the projects. They were taken from council estates and they have changed and they've realized they've come into systems that they've not understood before but they've learned very quickly and they've said to themselves that if i'm to get ahead there's certain things that i need to do and i think that the sooner that we begin to introduce that so for example you get a lot of young boys saying oh it's because i am this way that's why i can't get ahead how can we change that language we change that language like jamelia said by exposure she was exposed to things at 18 but if you're exposed to things when you're younger you begin to grow it becomes part of your growth system let me give you an example of um i think it was reese mob jacob reese mob took his son to um he's, he's a politician uh, in, the, here in the uk for those that don't know yes he's a politician in the uk i'm sorry i should have explained that so he took his son okay, who was right, quite right. young to to his <laughs> to his workplace and so the boy begins to understand how politics works we as a community don't tend to do that we almost let our children raise themselves and so we need as parents to begin to understand that like jamelia said her mom didn't go past a certain level in school okay i don't know this but i need to get you in touch with somebody who does know jamelia i'm sure is not going to make that same mistake with her children she's going to go listen i learned this when i was 18 i want you to learn this when you're 10. i get what you're saying and but we're talking about an issue that's larger than just individuals you, you can do we, if, even if everybody's mindset changes literally at the same time, somehow magically, we all decide that we're going to take all these steps that everyone else who's already successful is doing. We live in a system that is so un grossly unfair that the vast majority of people will not get access to these things. And those who do, you know, that brings us right back to the question that Jordan asked us right from the beginning, Elaine, which is the question of, is there going to be an obligation to give back? There have been more and more. There have been more and more Black Americans or American Blacks, African Blacks, Blacks in the UK and other parts of the world who have moved into middle class and who have become successful. And they, generally speaking, aren't doing the things that you are suggesting that they do. So while you're while you're talking about sort of this um, individualistic incremental sort of kind of progress, the vast majority of people are not going to get that. And that's my concern with this conversation, that we're going into these sort of individualistic kinds of solutions, giving okay. individualistic examples that work for you, that work for, maybe work for me, maybe work for Jamila, but isn't going to work for 20 million people or 40 million people or 100 million people. What's the, what's the systemic uh, 
solution or what is what's what's your suggestion mm. for that because yeah. i mean you have to start somewhere she may not be elaine might not be able to reach all of the people <laughs> the 10 million are there you're talking about but you know each one teach one you're starting somewhere so if, if it's not individualistic where we should start then where what what's the let, remedy let me let, let me put that, let me put that question towards towards Gary. Um, I've got a kind of slightly different question, but on that same track, do you feel it's possible for Black people to, to be billionaires on mass in a capitalist society? Do I, th I think I think I think it's possible. Um, I also do think it's still going to be a great challenge because if if the focus is and I and I kind of have to swing back to what Donald is saying. Because I, I, I hear what you're saying there, Donald, yeah? Is that we're in a capitalist uh, society, so everyone is striving for themselves or their own, right? Um, that's not going to help us to get to where we really want to be, right? And I think it needs to be more of a cultural shift. It needs to be something that, that we are building together as a community um, that everybody feeds into, you know? It's, it's, it's got to be about legacy. It's, it's got to be about something that, that outlives our own individual lives that we're actually feeding into. So it's not just about my individual success, but it's more about what and how I'm giving back and what we're building as in, in unity as a community. Um, and I think that's a big challenge to get to that point. Um, but if we don't start moving in that kind of direction, we will always lose, yeah? Because mm. the system will always work against us. And if you stand back and look at the system, the system is in place to work for those who it works for, right? Um, so unless we build our own, uh, unless we build our own, we will never have our own. It will just be individuals that have. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, I remember reading an article uh, the other day about the Jewish community, right? And they have a culture of giving. I mean, some of you might know far more about this than I do. Um, but they have a culture of giving. It's embedded in their nature and how, mm -hmm. and how they operate. And in 20, 20, 2014, I mean, and, and they go about very different ways of how to give back into their communities. So they'll set up foundations and trusts and all sorts of stuff to find different methods of giving back. Now, that giving back covers a multitude of different things. Right? I think 2014, the top 150 foundations um, must have raised 6.42 billion for these foundations. Mm -hmm. And at least 25 of 25% of that ended up back in the Jewish community for Jewish causes, right? So it can be done, 
but you have to embed it into your culture, into what, you know, and have a really long term view of what you're actually trying to do. So having that as your culture, like I say, if you have that as your culture and you have an individual that's born into that culture, when they start, as as, uh, Elaine was saying, at 16 years old and they start their own business, the first 100 pounds they make, they're giving 10% back to their community, Mm. right? Yeah. By the time they become a millionaire, it's not a problem. It's it's already in their mind. It's already in their mind Mindset. process. It's part of their habits. By so, the time they get to a billionaire, we won't be having this conversation about should they be obligated or expected to give because it's a habit. So, so let me ask Jamila: Is it then more so about then building billionaire mindsets rather than actual billionaires? Because is, is there anything? There's nothing wrong with being a billionaire, I suppose, in theory. But is it about the mindset of, of how we want to bring up our own community alongside us, those that are succeeding and doing well? So you may not ever have owned a billion dollars or a billion pounds, but is it now more so about building billionaire mindsets, which is more mm. about community? It's more about we all are going to succeed, even if, you know, I'm just a millionaire and I own a million. You know, I talk a lot about mindset and I, and I say in my consultations with my clients, like, it's very little to do with money. It, what I do is mindset shift around money, because depending on where you come from, um, what your experiences were with money, you have your own embedded feelings about that. So I think, you know, I think mindset is important. I, it, it just is. And if it can start there again with the exposure and just letting these kids know in, some, in the culture that they can have more. You don't have to be an athlete to do this. But if we get to, that's why I said it's, I feel like there's so many layers to this because if we're looking at the systemic issue, then, then I feel like we got to go to the parental um, structure and foundation of the homes and start. I mean, we have mm-hmm. to go through so many things to even begin to unlearn and undo all of the things mm-hmm. that have been taught. So we got to start somewhere and what we can control and what we can expose everybody to on a, on a mass uh, exposure level is the mindset. I mean, we, we can do that faster than we can change a systematic that's just system that's built against, you know, the impoverished or the our culture as a whole. So I, I don't want to discount the mindset. It, it, that's everything. Um, billion, billion in your pocket or not, the mindset. Is, is everything, the foundation. At least. I think you talk about the billionaire mindset, but it's also about what your child is watching as well. Um, or or as, as, as an adult, what are you watching? There's a lot of children that don't even understand what interest rates are. They don't know what mortgages are. They don't know about stocks and shares. They don't, they don't watch any of these things, but they can tell you what happened in, in, in what's it, Top Boy or whatever. Um, last week, they can tell you that. Love Island. You know, yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They can tell you all of that, mm. but they can't tell you, they can't even tell you what's going on. The only time that I think everybody was aware that everything was going on was when George Floyd was killed. That's when everybody started talking about stuff. But after hashtag black BLM is not trending as much, Ask them what's going on in the world today. What's going on with the number of coronavirus uh, cases? What's going on in the United States? Mm. What's going on in Brazil? Mm-hmm. They can't tell you because they're not watching those kind of things. Not, they don't understand what current affairs is. And so when they get to 21 and they're dealing with people, they're in university when they decide to go to university, and they're dealing with people who've been watching this and reading the newspaper from day dot and having conversations with their parents. And it goes back to what Jamelia is saying. Is there so many layers to this? Even the way we parent our children, the way we speak to our children. There are some people yeah. that are still trying to deal with the hurts with the language that was used by parents when they were children as grown-ups, And so they've then had children and they don't know how to um, remove that from who they are in order to parent effectively, if that makes sense. So it's like a a, a serious cycle that's going on. And and, and like, um, sorry, I don't mean to go on Jordan, but like um, what, the other guy was, I've forgotten your name, I'm so sorry, um, was talking about Donald that, or Gary. You know, when you, uh, Gary in the white shirt. That's Is that right. Gary? Yeah. Yes. So he was talking about when you give, when you give 
back at a young age you, you your first hundred it becomes an attitude a lifestyle of giving back i know the jewish community the grandparents when they are saving their money they're actually saving their money for the education of their grandchildren so if you notice a jewish person never has to worry about the education of their children right. we don't do that let me, let, let, it's a worry let me just go to, to donald for a second um something in the article that you wrote for on al jazeera i found interesting it's a black middle class that cares more about civility and less about speaking out about structural racism and inequality is one that is difficult mm -hmm. to understand it makes them unwitting partners in white supremacy patriarchy and socio-economic inequality just unpack that for us for, for a second, Donald. Sure. Um, all I'm saying here is really is this. The system is, this, this, this capitalist system is imperialistic, it's racist, it's misogynistic. Um, it's a system that disadvantages you on the basis of all of those things. So if you are a white guy, you will most likely get ahead. If you are a black guy, you are less likely to get ahead. If you are a black woman, you are even less likely to get ahead than a black guy. Generally, that's the case. Um, you know, any statistic in the U.S. in particular, but you know, really pretty much anywhere in the African diaspora tends to bear that out, right? So all I'm saying here is that when you think about um, advanced as individuals and even as a group into the middle class or into affluence, meaning you've got at least a net worth of $250,000 a year in the case of the U.S. or become a millionaire, right? You have, in essence, become part of the system that, while you might be doing well, um, there are plenty of other people who aren't. And as you become part of that system, there is a tendency to absorb all of the ideas and lessons from that system as well. Lessons that lead to things like um, giving, you know, like, say, um, the late Reginald Lewis, who used to own um, Tropicana Orange Juice and Beatrice Foods, who gave um, $3 million to Harvard Law School in 1991, but nary a dime um, for black causes or black institutions for instance, just as one example, right? So that's, that's where I'm getting at. When you, take, when you become successful in a system that is bent, bent toward your lack of success, there's a tendency for most people to not change their mindset, as Jamelia has talked about earlier, and saying, you know what, I'm going to do something different here. I'm going to try to help other people do what I just did. Or I'm going to do something even more radical and say, I'm going to challenge this system because, yes, I've made a lot of money out of this system. I've become wealthy as a result of, this, of using this system. But I want to make sure that this, this system does not stay the way it is so that it's so hard for everyone else coming up at the same time. There are ways of doing that by supporting causes and supporting movements. Let me ask you, Donald, do, do, do you feel that community wealth can trump those systemic problems? Yes and no. I mean, it massages at the edges a bit and takes the, sh the sharpest edges and just it sands them down a bit, right? But you're still operating in a system that, generally speaking, does not want you to succeed, <laughs> right? So. You can improve community situations. You know, individuals can give, communities can change, you know, people can change their mindset. But ultimately, there's only going to be but so much room in the capitalist system for people to do well, which means that so while you might raise the boat, it's not going to change the whole so scenario, if you will. I think the first thing I would say is when, when I was talking and I was thinking, is this really where we are? Um, because basically what you're saying is the system, how would I put it, correct me if I'm wrong in summing this up, yeah? The, the, the system removes our greatest potentials to become dormant for our future legacy. More or less. <laughs> I would, I would so say it, that it's not so much that it removes it, it just, there's the ceiling right and it's a feeling that makes it hard it just makes it hard for okay. even if you are doing re really 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 well you know mm. it, there's there's only good, there's only so much room because of systemic racism because of systemic sexism because of the combination of those things 
with poverty, mm-hmm. right? There's just only, there, there's only yeah. so many billionaires you can create out of this current system. And let me ask you guys, and um, I'll come to you, Jamila. I don't know if you know, there's a something from the Caribbean, from Jamaica in particular, that used to happen way back in the day called Pardners. I don't know if you guys have heard of, I assume it's mm-hmm. yeah, heard of yeah. Pardners. Um, for those that don't know what a partner is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, here, but it was a system whereby everybody in the household or in the family all put into a pot of money as little or as much as you could. So it could be $10 or £10 a week or a month, whatever. Yeah. And at the end of the month or end of the agreed date, um, one person in that family would then get that money, would take that money away, and then they had the money, and then that system would continue. That's a kind of basic, basic uh, definition of what a partner yeah. was. Yeah. I've started a partner with my mum and brother in the last couple of months again, not because I want to be a billionaire, but just because I want us all to win. I want us all to be successful and comfortable mm. financially to the point where we are comfortably nice. Is that the first step in trying to break down the huge monster of capitalism that Donald has been talking about in terms of, you know, it might start with $10 a week, $10, £10 a week. But that is the, going back to the mindset of how to bring mm-hmm. everyone along with you and bring that economic mm-hmm. power base up through your family, starting with two or three people. Mm-hmm. I, I, think that's, I think that's a great point. I remember mm-hmm. um, growing up, speaking to my parents about that time um, when they came to the UK. If, if, if I set the scene, uh, my parents came from Jamaica. When they came across to the UK, um, as far as they're concerned, you know, they, they've been called, they're coming to help the motherland. Um, uh, and when they got here, it was a completely different story. There was, mm. it was uh, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Couldn't find anywhere mm. to live. No one would rent you a room. Um, you know, they've got you doing rock bottom jobs, even though you're a professional and qualified you would never be able to work in your field. Um, so as um, Jordan was talking about the partner, they used the partner in order to uh, pull their funds together, right? Mm-hmm. So that they could end up buying properties, right? So these guys came over, they were doing rock bottom jobs, but they had a community and they pulled in together, uh, mm-hmm. they raised funds and they started to buy properties, right? Um, and there are many families around us that I know bought their first property by using the whole partner. By the time they got to their second and their third properties, they were paying for them cash. And they were. So why do we go away from that, that, Gary? Why or well, how do we go away from that? I mean, it's, it's coming back a little bit now, but why did we go so far away from that? Because it was working. I, th- I, I think, I don't think our parents moved away from it. I think what ended up happening was it was something they'd never been through before, right? So mm. when my parents were in Jamaica, they had kids in Jamaica, they sent them to school in Jamaica. When those guys were at school, my parents trusted the system. They trusted the mm. teachers. They knew that everyone was working on behalf of their children and their family. Mm. If my brothers did anything wrong at school, they knew by the time they got home that mum and dad would know about mm. it and they would need to sort themselves out. Right. So our parents come to to England thinking that it's based on exactly the same system, the same values, the same principles. Mm -hmm. And they send their children to school, having a trust in the school because it's based on the same system as they're coming from in Jamaica. But those schools didn't care about their children. Those schools were not set up for their children to succeed. They were set up for them to fail. Right. So although our, our, our parents knew exactly what they were doing and, and they had their community, they didn't realize that their children who were growing up in a new space didn't have the learnings that they had. And because this was something they were going through for the first time, they didn't really know what lessons they had to pass on. They just got on with it. So then we get to a stage where they're, 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 the whole time that they're here, they're literally planning to go home. Right? Yes. That was their hope. Mm. I'm working mm. so hard so that I can buy my land back home in Jamaica and build my house. Mm. So I can walk around mm. my house. That's all they need to talk about. I need house and land. 
I can walk around. And I think everybody would have heard that phrase, I need house and land, mm -hmm. right? Um, but although we saw what they did, we didn't understand how they went about it. And then mm -hmm. us growing up behind them didn't have the same community structure. So we would have had church, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, but we didn't have the same kind of network that they created. And, 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 I, and I think I would say we became westernized in the whole process. So back to what Donald was saying as well, becoming a little bit more materialistic and not planning for future. Because my parents didn't buy anything unless they saved the money for it. Mm -hmm. Right? Whereas now one. you can go out and you can get a brand new car and pay one month. I hear it. I hear it. Um, I just want to kind of just the final area I want to touch on is the current climate of what of which we're, we're all living under, um, both here in the UK, the US and globally, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly thinking to myself, OK, what's going to be the outcome? What do we want to come from people respecting and valuing black lives? And the, the, the point I keep coming back to, which I want to get all four of your answers briefly on is, is the only way we're going to be respected and black lives are going to be respected and valued is if we hold economic weight. And I'm not talking about, let's say, billionaires now for a second, but until we hold economic power, institutions, governments, corporations will never truly, not only not value black lives, but they will never set up systems to allow us in and to allow us to run these organisations. Is economic power base the only way that Black Lives Matter is going to truly be viewed as successful? Uh, I would start with, you know, I'll give you a direct example of, you know, someone who thought that this would work about 120 years ago by the name of Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington told black mm -hmm. folks to cast their buckets where they were and to build an economic power base such that, you know, that would basically be the entree way, uh, the way to in, um, gain equality within the United States. Marcus Garvey sort of preached some of the same stuff when he found that the United Negro Improvement uh, Association on the heels of Booker T. Washington in 1916 in New York. Both were sort of along those lines. And when black folks started doing that, things like race riots broke out where white people burned down rich parts of towns like Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know and, and in Florida in 1923 with Rosewood and other places. So economic power alone doesn't guarantee you anything in terms of that, the value of a black life, right? Not to mention the fact, I mean, the folks in the system already know that we're valuable. That's how they use us and exploit us in terms of like wealth and wealth generation and using ideas and using culture to make money off us. So, you know, it's not a question of whether we have economic value, but whether a question of how we somehow coalesce that value into movement, community building, all the other things that we've been talking about for the last 50 minutes. Gary, what's, what's the answer? How do we give me a solution as to how we, as black people here in Britain, let's just start with our little island here in Britain. How can black people here in the UK um, really get that kind of leverage that Elaine's talking about there politically as well as in the boardroom and business? Uh, I, I think I'd agree with what's, what's, what's just been said uh, by both Donald and, and, and Elaine. And I think um, we, need to, we need to pull together more. We, we need to support one another more. Um, mm. we, we obviously need to buy black. Um, we need to promote black owned businesses um, and allow those black owned businesses. And, and I think I'd, I'd always go back to um, what are we trying to build? We, we, have, we have to define it. Um, and, and the whole, uh, you know, economic power basically allows you to step into uh, uh, spheres of, of more influence because, for instance, if as a community, we're using the black pound um, in, in a way to promote and aid our own communities, then what happens is the system has to come to you um, to get a spokesperson for your community to understand what your needs are so that they can offer it to you, yeah? Um, because they don't want to be left out. 
of 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 that loop so does it open the door of influence yes it does but um but we need to be really clear on what we're building um and it and it can't be just for the short term it has to be for the long term and it can't just be a case of us you know always asking for stuff and begging for things we have to we have to get ourselves in a position where we can make demands um and i think that does start with you know um our spending power i think that's that that's where it begins but everything that we've been talking about about you know, uh, giving back into our community, investing in our community, uh, educating our, our community, building our asset base as a community in terms of uh, properties and, and, and business ownership, etc. I think all of these things are part of the, 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 the same uh, solution, um, but it all needs to be pulled together. So just to bring it back to, um, to wrap up as well, the discussion here is wealth, uh, Jamila. What is the one thing that you would like to see the black community, let's start with in, in, in the States in America where you are, to ensure that we have more billionaires that are responsible and conscious who actually want to give back to the community rather than, you know, there being an expectancy on them to give back? I think if, you know, once the some things are, are implemented and they could see the benefit, you know, knowing that, um, you know, college is being taken care of or businesses were started or someone bought a home or, you know, something that is tangible that people can see based off of. Because I don't think a lot of times, you know, like we had, who was it, Bob Johnson paid off the, the Morehouse student loans for their graduating class, but then what? So, okay, now they're in a position, they don't have, they don't have the debt, but was there anything put in place to know now how we avoid debt now moving forward? You know what I'm saying? Like that's the education piece because a lot, it's easy to just throw some money at something to temporarily put a bandaid on it. But if we're not getting to the, the root, you know, and, and finding out how we can eliminate and improve so that we don't run into this again, you know, uh, it's just, I don't know. We, we, we need, we need more. We need more on just a foundation level, you know, like it's overwhelming because, you know, there are some good things being done. And I know a lot of the rappers and athletes are now talking about ownership and real estate and different things like that. But, you know, they're not putting that in their music. So the kids are getting double messages. So we, we got to do more. And I just think starting. I don't know. I wish I knew the answer. I have no idea. Um, but we got to do more. We got to do more, more with the handouts, more with the education with along with that, not just, you know, here I donated this amount of money. But, you know, mm. what after that, what, you know, what, what am I mm. going to do with this knowledge? Where can I get? Can I call you if I have some questions? You know, is there an internship set up somewhere? Can I get some knowledge of what to do now that I've graduated college with no student loans? I mean, what what do what do we do? You know, um, I know a lot of you know in our culture, a lot of my clients are first generation money. You know, and there's a responsibility to help your mama and help your brother and help your niece and nephew and help all these people before they can even establish their own you know foundation for their wealth. So it's just like we we we've, we've got a lot to overcome, and I don't know I don't know where where to start with it. I think there's a lot of good things in place. Elaine's program sounds amazing. I definitely love to be a part of that in some way. Um, we, we've got to do more. We've got to do more. Um, Donald, um, just in 30 seconds, if you can, so I'm wrapping up. You have outlined the problem, I think, very well. What's the answer? I think that you attach it to something along the lines of um, what Gary was talking about earlier in terms of establishing a pool of money where you know, not just individual foundations, but sort of like a gigantic community pool, if you will. Similar to what folks in the, the states and other parts of the diaspora are talking about in terms of reparation. Not rep, let's not call it reparations, this is obviously not the same thing, but the idea that you establish a pool of money where different folks throw money into the pot, and then there are folks who have the responsibility of determining how to use that money, where it be for education, or be for, um, starting businesses or providing more housing or whatever else it is. 
something along those lines, but on a more systemic level. That's where I would start. And finally, Gary and Elaine, um, you're both here in the UK with me. Um, we don't have any black billionaires in this country. Um, how far, how long do you think it will be before we do see our first black billionaire? And this is a kind of side question to that question. Could that, that actually be a bad thing? Because it could just exemplify further the wealth gap that we have in our community in this country. I actually want to be a black billionaire. I want to be one of, so Come on, on my now. WhatsApp status, I'm known as black, a billionaire mum, and everybody knows me for that, right? Um, but part of me, and I always say to God, but part of me having those billions is to give back. So I'm actually actively looking, working towards building an educational fund for children who can't give. I mean, I think Gary spoke about always hand out, hand out, hand out. And I think the same as Jamelia. We have to stop that mentality. Um, but we, I want to be able to raise the black child, raise the black man, raise the black woman. Um, and the only way we can do this is that when we get to that level, we bring other people with us. And we have to show them how it's done, if if that makes sense. That's that's how I'm thinking. Yeah. And, and that's my prayer every day, that, Lord, just give me that money, not so I can show off what I have. I'll make sure I live a very good life with it. However, I want to put down... I want to put down a foundation that lives after me, my children, my great grandchildren, you know, that my it leaves a legacy that when it's like that, I always say to people that the name Walker, Madam CJ Walker already took the foundation from me, but it's okay. Cunningham Walker is different and I want that to live. So if, if, if you meet somebody now who says my surname is Guinness, that already tells you the kind of leverage and the family that they're from. That's what I want for my family. I want to build a legacy that is there for generations and it's in the history books because I want to make a difference to the black child for me personally. Anyway, I hear, I hear it. And just finally, Gary, do you know what? I would absolutely echo everything that Elaine just said for sure. Um, I think, what we do, what we we look to do in our in our coaching practice is, <clears throat> we look to uh, give the new generation the tools to enable them to transition. Yeah, because I think someone touched on it before that you get a bright young child, they go to one of the top schools, but they still find themselves in a new space that they don't feel like they belong. Yeah, and it's about giving them those tools that they can effortlessly move through transition and transformational change with ease so whatever space they find themselves in they're ready for it you know um and this whole thing about you know uh black billionaires in in the uk i think i think we have some individuals that are definitely pushing pushing that way um some who are doing some really really good work I don't think there is enough collaboration um, in the UK to make it happen quicker. Um, and I think with more collaboration, um, that will, that will uh, definitely speed up that whole process. Um, and I think we need to see more of that and take a lot of more from the Americans and the way they do that. Um, I think it will help us uh, to move uh, a lot swifter. Um, guys, listen, thank you so much for joining me on our show today. Um, Elaine, Gary, Jamila and Donald, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Um, that was a great chat and I hope, hope people kind of take away something from that discussion as well. Some nuggets there outlining the problems, but hopefully also some solutions in there as well. Do not forget to follow all of our content across all of our socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check out our website, blackademic.com. Also our channel, YouTube as well, Blackademic TV. Until next time, look after the people, Dem. Take care. Peace. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.